please stand for the reading of the word from Ephesians 4. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. All right, uh, it's good to be here with you today. My name is Shane Hughes, especially if you're joining us online. Uh, I want us to take us back two weeks to Easter, uh, where we talked about the power of breath, and I just want to take, give us a moment to breathe. Breathe in mercy. Breathe out judgment. Breathe in peace. Breathe out worry. Breathe in grace. And breathe out fear. We are not a people who succumbs to fear. And our leaders have been showing us that path. And uh, one of the things we've prepared as you think about and as you wrestle through uh, what you've heard today from Slade, uh, as Slade mentioned, we have four elder videos. Now, this represents kind of a broad swath of elder perspectives, some that were for this decision before the discernment started, some that weren't really on board, but as they wrestled with Scripture, they came to a different conclusion, and still others that weren't quite there even at the end. But because they love this church and because they love you, they've chosen to stay as leaders. You're going to receive an email uh, later today that'll have links to these videos, but I wanted to show you just a taste of what's there to encourage you to watch that. Well, put the big red X on proof texts and wear a different hat. Uh, I'm sure you're going to say flesh that out a little bit. Um, During another season in life, we lived in Arkansas, and the congregation brought in a new preacher. He would say something like, the text for today is from, say, Matthew chapter 25. Listen for the word of God. At first, I did not sense what he was saying, and then I realized that before reading from the Bible, he was saying, listen for the Word of God. He was not saying, listen to the Word of God. What if I hear something different from what you hear? He said, that's just the way it is. And one of our brothers, who is quite vocal about being considered, women being considered as elders, came over to us put his arms around us, and with a look of love in his eyes said, Brothers, I just want you to know that I love you. Despite my former opposition to women serving as leaders, I determined I would approach the discernment process with an open mind. This was not an easy decision. I feared finding myself in the situation I had so long despised, 
that of someone who abandons the clear teaching of Scripture in order to accommodate changing cultural norms. It seems to me that this has increased my humility a lot. I'm not anticipating what the Scripture is going to say. I'm listening more carefully. There are two comments I heard that made a great impression on me. One from a Highland member I highly respected, and another from a fellow elder. And they both, both basically made this statement. While I really struggle with this decision, whatever the outcome, I'm not going anywhere. And I loved that attitude. So I encourage you to watch those videos as you receive that email in your inbox. I want to remind you what Slade said. Tonight at 6.30, there's going to be a more full, in-depth class to explore this if you want to know more. Uh, that uh, There will be childcare available from up to fifth grade. I encourage you to come and hear that. And then after uh, that class, the elders are going to be available to you. They want to be available to you. They'll be in the gym and they'll be in various classrooms. And you're going to be able to go and talk to them. Uh, in addition, there's going to be a document that's coming uh, to your mailbox that's going to give you more information about the why. So we have a lot more resources that we're ready to offer you. But if you feel anxious about this, if you feel a little bit of fear bubbling up or questions that haven't been answered yet, I want you to talk to someone in leadership. I want you to pray with someone that's your elder. I want you to reach out. Now, they may reach out to you just because they love you, but if, even if no one calls you, reach out to an elder. Talk to them. Say, can, I, can you give me a cup of coffee? Can I meet you somewhere for breakfast? This church, more than any other church that I've ever been a part of, has elders whose first instinct is to love and shepherd you. And being an insider and watching this process happen, I want to assure you that they have done the work and they've wrestled with these questions and they have been faithful to you and they've been faithful to God and the prompting of the Spirit. But now they want to be in a posture not so much to teach, although they're going to teach, but in a posture to listen. They want to hear from you and they want to love and pastor you and shepherd you through this. So before we jump into the word, let's spend a little bit of time in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our church. And Father, I pray that you drive out the spirit of fear and anxiety and allow us to rest in the place that acknowledges the truth that you are God, that you are a good father, and that you have good gifts in store for us. And Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching like you've poured through preachers from this pulpit for years and decades that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Copernicus was one of the first scientists, and we've, we've talked about this story before, one of the first scientists that looked at the heavens and just didn't assume that what he had been told is actually the case. And he began to gather evidence just by studying the planets and the motions. He went to Holland and found better telescopes with better lenses, and he observed something strange about the planet Jupiter, that moons were turning around Jupiter. Up until this point, the assumption was that because of the natural observation of the sun passing through the sky and the way that the stars moved, that the earth was the center of our solar system. 
more than just the center of our solar system, it was the center of the universe. But his careful observation led him to a different conclusion. We now call it the heliocentric model. But another way of saying is, is the center of gravity in the solar system and the universe changed. And because the center of gravity changed, the world changed. And the, the same is true about Scripture. Scripture is not flat. It's not even in content or importance. And what we mean by that is that there are some principles and texts that have more gravity than others. You can imagine jumping on a uh, trampoline and you've got a couple of little kids and you're jumping on it. And when nobody's jumping, your body sinks down a little bit further than everybody else's. And if everybody's laying down on the trampoline, everybody kind of rolls to the same spot. There's a center of gravity there. And Jesus understands this and reflects this when he's answering questions from the teachers of the law because they ask him, what's the most important part of the law? And we intuitively know that all Scripture is useful for teaching, correction, and training in righteousness, but some Scripture is more useful than others. Jesus also reflects this in the criticism of the Pharisees, who paid more attention to tithing their spice rack than paying attention to justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus literally calls these things the weightier matters of the law. So there, are, there is a core of things that serve as a lens for us to understand everything else. Because we understand where the center of gravity is in Scripture, we can place everything else in its proper place. And here at Highland, we believe that the core of Scripture, the part that holds the most gravity, is the character of God and the redemptive work found in the incarnation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the ongoing work of the Spirit. And so I'm going to spend just a little bit of time thinking and sharing with you about how the way Highland has read our Bibles for the last 25 years and how that has led to this discussion. God is holy and transcendent. God is just and merciful. God is creator and sustainer. But most importantly, God is love. And the greatest, most clear expression of God is realized in the person of Jesus. If you want to know who God is in the most clear way, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the center of gravity in that sense. And Jesus' words and how he treated others and the stories that he told and the way he died shapes our understanding of everything else. Jesus is the best example of how Christians live in rhythm with God and each other. God is for us. God is for us. God didn't send uh, his son to die. To, uh, Jesus didn't, excuse me, Christ didn't die to appease an angry, distant God who was about to murder us. No, that's not how it works. God sent prophet after prophet to call his people back. And when that didn't work, God himself came to be an example and a bridge for us. God is for us. 
And even when Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, God did not leave us alone. The Spirit, which is breathed upon the disciples in John chapter 20 and poured out on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it guides the church. It lives inside each of us. It gives us gifts. It convicts us of sin. And it makes a way when the church has no path forward. This is the gospel that has been preached at this church for almost 100 years. And I am humbled by the great crowd of witnesses that has preceded me here. Jonathan Stormit, Mike Cope, Lynn Anderson, and so many others. I think the second thing you have to realize is that this discernment is a fairly narrow in scope. The decision if women could exercise service and leadership here at Highland, speaking, praying, teaching, leading worship, serving as ministry or as ministers and ministry leaders, even preaching were all decisions that your shepherds studied, sought guidance through prayer, and listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit before my time began here. And scripture has always been mediated through human writers, experiences, understanding, and cultural influences. But I want you to realize that this makes it more meaningful, not less. Somehow in my head when I was growing up, I thought the Bible just kind of fell out of the sky in the King James Version. I just, that's how I thought it came. And then as I learned more and more about how the Bible actually was written and why it was written and why there are some books in the Bible and not others, why people gathered to make those decisions and how the Spirit of God was there every step of the way, making sure that all of those things were the right things. And then throughout the course of history, how copyists and monks and, and, and uh Faraway places took the painstaking time to copy letter by letter, word by word, the words of God so that we could have them. I don't know if you know this, but uh, about 70-odd years ago, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. It was a whole stash of, of new material that was found in a cave. Uh, and, and it comes out in all of these scrolls. Well, most of them, at least, are older than our oldest manuscripts. And what we find encourages us. Because the copies that we had before were almost the same as the copies as they found in those caves. God has been protecting and creating and shaping the word of God that we've received. Scripture has always been mediated through human writers, experiences, and human understanding. And all scripture has context. And all scripture has cultural basis. There's no word in our Bible that wasn't written in a certain time and place. Even the creation accounts, even Genesis chapter 1, have within them cultural assumptions. Even the story of creation has within it a place and a time where that story was put together. And that was probably in Babylon in the exile. And the reason why we know this is because there's a, a Babylon creation story. It's the story of Marduk who creates the world. He's kind of the high Babylonian god. And the way that he creates the world is he takes a, a sea serpent called Tiamat and he tears Tiamat in half. Half makes the heavens and half makes the earth. Well, if you read your Bible in Genesis 1 very carefully, what you see is that our God, Yahweh, creates the sea dragon. You want to know whose God is bigger? You want to know whose God was first? It was the Israelite God. Even our creation story is written in a context. 
which just means that we must be diligent students of Scripture to discern how ancient words carefully passed down generation to generation continue to shape and form our faith and understanding to God. So, when it comes to the question of leadership, how does the gravitational center of Scripture inform our decision? After all, Jesus' life and teachings revealed women whom he elevated beyond social custom. Mary, who's Martha's sister, is welcome to sit at the men's side of the house at the feet of Jesus, which is the posture of a disciple. And if you know your first century Jewish history, then you know that students that sat at the feet of a rabbi were intended to become a rabbi one day. The Samaritan woman engages in a theological dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus not only speaks to her, but engages with her thoughts. And she leads her entire village back to Jesus. The women at the tomb are the first witnesses of the resurrection, effectively becoming the first evangelists or apostles of the gospel. Women who hold leadership positions in the first century church called deacons, prophets, apostles, yoke fellows by Paul are too numerous to mention here. Peter's sermon captured in Acts 2, Peter reaches into the book of Joel's prediction that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people, on your sons and your daughters alike. They would all prophesy. All scripture has context and all scripture has cultural basis. So let's take a case in point, which is 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Different ministers in Timothy, it's Timothy being sent to Ephesus. In Titus, it's Titus being sent to Crete, sent to different places with different churches that have different problems and situations. But what it results in when you read those two lists carefully is different lists. Now, some of those things are the same. You can see that in the middle of the Venn diagram, but some of them are not. And what do we do that with that? It might be surprising to you that it's not exactly the same list to those two different churches in two different places because that's how we've treated them in the past. We've created these two lists and just combined them into a checklist and we take a person and, and hold them up to that checklist and say, one, two, three, four, okay, you got them all, you're good. One, two, three, ah, you missed it here. I'm sorry, you can't be an elder. But I don't think that's what Paul intends. I think what Paul is doing is not painting or creating a checklist, but painting a portrait of what leadership looks like in Crete and what leadership looks like in Ephesus. This is what Christian servants should look like. And you can have a series of family portraits you can imagine walking down that hallway of a castle where you see all of the descendants one after another, and they would have some similarities. You could expect to see a similar vein. In my family, it's our eyes. That's how you can tell we're all Hughes's. You've seen pictures of the Habsburg jaw, but we aren't identical. And the leaders God calls aren't either. It's cultural. It's situational and its local accommodation to what the church needs. One of those qualifications listed for elder is husband of one wife. And one of the qualifications for deacon is also husband of one wife. When I read my Bible, there is only one elder named in the New Testament, and that is Peter. And when I read my Bible, there is only one deacon named in the New Testament, and her name is Phoebe. It's not, it's not simple. 
we have a responsibility to consider what is best for Highland with our people in our city, with our leadership and resources, where we face our challenges and opportunities. Context matters. And I think this is what Paul is addressing in Galatians chapter 3. The Jewish world couldn't imagine a church where Jews and Gentiles eat together. But through our shared baptism, the Holy Spirit leads us there. Philemon can't imagine a world where slaves and slave owners are brothers and sisters, children of the same Heavenly Father, but through our shared baptism, the Holy Spirit leads us here. And lastly, Greco-Roman Gentiles can't imagine a world where women and men can serve side by side as co-ministers and leaders in the Lord's church. Now, Richard and David are going to talk more about this in depth this evening. But what Paul says in Galatians 3.28 is critical. It's not neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, but nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Paul is making there a clear reference back to Genesis 1 and 2 that somehow our baptism and our life together changes the way that we understand how men and women function. Now, men and women are not the same. There are different sexes and different genders. There's different biology that goes well beyond just sexual anatomy. The average man has more muscle mass than the average woman, and the average woman on tends to have a thicker corpus callosum, which is the connection between the two hemispheres of the brain. Men and women are not equal because no one is. I will never be able to dunk a basketball like David Ray. But I do have more hair. Men and women are different. There's no denying that. But what God does in Jesus Christ through our shared baptism and the outpouring of the Spirit creates something new. Believers are formed into new creation, and our identity is now formed by the cross more than any other trait. And if your gifts through the Holy Spirit allows you to lead or shepherd or teach, then you have an obligation to the church. The the qualities Paul writes for elders are different in different contexts, but so are the gifts. The gifts are also different. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, So Christ gave himself, or the, for Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of faith. In Romans chapter 12, he writes, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give Give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. When Paul is writing the Corinthian church, he says, Now to each one the manifestation is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To be still another, the interpretation of these tongues. All these works are of the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as Christ determines. Everyone has gifts to share. 
But the next thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians is, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. When I wanted pastoral care about my ministry, when I wanted to know the steps forward when I'd hit a place that I didn't, I got to a dead end and I couldn't find my way out. I went to an elder that had been a minister so I could talk to them about how do I move out of this place. That's where I found pastoral care. And when I had questions about how to be a good husband or how to be a good father, I would find an elder whom I chose, I respected because I I appreciated the way that they were a good husband or they were a good father for examples of how to guide me. Why should my wife, why should your daughters not have the same and direct congruent access to pastoral care? The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Paul continues to say, you are now the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And if you know your Bible, you know that that's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And what follows next is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to know what the greatest gift that God's Spirit gives us, it's love. It's love. So I want to talk for a minute about what this means for our church going forward. We remain, remain oriented on the gospel as our central goal and as scripture as our guide. Our identity is not that we are a church with inclusive leadership. Our identity is that we are the body of Christ who has been given a mission, a mission to restore Highland and restore Abilene and restore our world. And I want to remind you of what we said last week. Our unity is not found in uniformity, but rooted in love for each other. We are not a melting pot where we all have to think the same. We are a fruit salad. All of our gifts will be honored here. And the most important gift is not preaching or shepherding. The greatest gift is love. And it seems so trite and so simplistic and so underwhelming in a complex world, but it really is love. Just love. Being open and vulnerable to, create, to being create, courageous and that spirit-filled love that transforms us all. And there are so many people, sons and daughters of the church like me and those who are outside of the church, fascinated by Jesus but put off by our systems of governance who have waited a long time for this. And we invite you to make this place your home. We aren't perfect, but when we fall on our face, we try to fall toward grace. We aren't perfect, but whatever gaps between us exist, we try to fill those gaps with love, just love. But let me tell you what this decision won't do. This decision won't let us arrive. It's not a magic bullet to solve our problems. I was at a church in California 
that said, look, if we can just get instrumental music, young people are going to come streaming back to this church because that's the reason why they're not coming. The problem wasn't instrumental music. This decision isn't going to solve all of our, ma- our problems either. It is simply a step closer to how our church sees ourselves living faithfully with God in the way that God has entrusted us to do. We are simply acknowledging what has already been true, that God has equipped saints for service and leadership, and the gift that makes particular people suitable to be our shepherds has been bestowed on women and men alike. And there are ways that our cultural experience, like Paul's, can intrude on the way we read Scripture. For instance, the only time that Paul will ever talk about rights is when he is giving them up for the sake of others. In the kingdom of God, we don't have any rights but gifts and an obligation to use them faithfully. It is no one's right to be a shepherd. You don't get to campaign for shepherd. It's not an office you get to run for, but it's also not something you can run from. And this is a disorienting time. We don't have it all figured out yet. But with the God we serve, our God has it figured out. And our God is awesome. Our God is for us, not against us. And if God is for us, who, what can be against us? Steadfast and patient, enduring and kind, our God always hopes, never quits, always forgives, and will never put you to shame. This is the God that invites us to the table to remind us the truth of the kingdom about ourselves and invites us to participate in God's preferred future. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the call that you gave me and my family to come here. And Father, I pray for our leaders uh, that you will protect them and give them peace today. I pray for every heart in this room that you will fill it with love and joy and grace. God, we're, we're doing the best we can with what we've got to be faithful to you. And we trust that your spirit has spoken. So give us the courage to be brave, to follow you into unknown places, to do things that are hard, because we know that we can do them together. Father, we trust you. We love you. And we are grateful for the invitation to come to the table together. And so it's through the name of Jesus that we find our unity and we find our hope and we find joy in serving with one another. It is in his name we pray and the church says, 